Welcome to our messages online. We have entered into a new sermon series called A Season of Grace. Today, Pastor Scott takes us into the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you today. We're going to continue in what we call a season of grace that we started last week. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Grab your Bible, please. Ephesians chapter 2. You can use the one sitting in front of you. We'll be on page 976. We're talking about grace, the grace of God. It's also one of the values of our church. And we're going to spend a season understanding grace. Because here's the situation. If you and I can grasp grace, if you and I would understand the grace of God, it is life-changing. Now, some of you said, oh, yeah, I know a little of the grace of God. And I've received Jesus. And I'd say, okay, you, you have understood some of the grace of God. But it is unlimited. And you can continue to grow in this. And this has been my prayer, that God would open the eyes of your heart today. That you would see more of his grace. That you would marvel in this gracious God. And so our, for this season, our theme verse, it's on your notes. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. It's found in John chapter 1. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he wrote this years later, and he says the word, speaking of Jesus, the, the communication of God, the expression of God, Jesus, he became flesh and he lived among us. And we're going to talk more about this over the Christmas season. That is Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us for a season. And John says, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. And this Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. He was full of this, out of his fullness, grace upon grace came out. And so we're going to talk about this Jesus. And we're going to talk about this grace of which Jesus was completely full of. And so I would ask you to memorize this. I would ask you to meditate on this. I would ask that you consider Jesus moving in and taking on humanity in order to rescue us and take our place on the cross. And so my prayer is that we would have God open the eyes of our heart, that we would understand this, even so that in a couple months we look back and say, from early November, God has been showing me it's not about me. God has helped me take my eyes off of me, and I've actually heard God say, look at me. This is grace, that we would take our eyes off of ourselves and that we would hear God saying, You look at me. Look at me. And so I've entitled today's message, Look at Me. As if God were speaking this message to you today, saying, You look at me. So we'll talk about this, how this is grace. Grace pointing us to see God first and only. Now, I know many of you in this room, you will claim to be followers of Christ. You will be claimed to be Christians, and I'm grateful for that. And what God does with Christians, for those who have received this grace of God, is that he is working to help us live grace-filled lives. And so the idea is God says, I'm going to help you receive this gift of grace, and I want you to extend this. And this is extremely important for every single one of us because over the next couple months, you are going to be with some of the worst people imaginable. You will be with this group of people called family. 
All right, And you will have to extend the grace of God. And for some of you that is so difficult. And so you will need the God who is full of grace and truth to fill you with grace. You're going to have to receive this so that you can extend it. Would you write these two words down with me? Receive. You and I need to receive this grace from God over and over. Again, some of you have say, I have received this before. You're not done receiving. Continue to receive. This is an active word. Continue to receive this grace. Some of you today maybe will receive this grace for the very first time. You have been trying to earn God's favor, and I'm going to tell you that that's not the way that you earn God's favor by performing, but simply receiving what God has given to you. So the first word I want you to hear is receive. The next word is extend, because God has called us to extend his grace. Even with Christmas compassion, the idea is, okay, I need to do some extending, but it first has to come from receiving. And so today, we're going to spend some time together opening God's Word and just receiving again the grace of God. Let me answer this question a little bit. What is grace? We talked about it last week, and I want to talk about it again. What is grace? What is this grace that we're talking about? Because the Bible never gives us a nice, tidy definition of what grace is. It simply says that Jesus was full of grace. Out of his fullness, grace upon grace came to us. But it doesn't really say what it is specifically. So let me share a few thoughts with you. It comes from the word charis, the Greek word charis. The idea is grace, the, the word charis implies that one would stoop down, that one would bend down to show favor or charity. Oh, I, I see where that word charity might come from. It comes from this word charis. The idea is that God would stoop down, he would bend down and show favor and charity to us. The word also implies that this is done in a very relational manner. It's not that God was just kicking some crumbs to us and saying, I hope you get this, I hope you receive, but that God would stoop down in a very relational way and say, I want every single one of you. This word grace implies a, a relationship. It also implies that God would show love downward. Grace is love that is directed downward. If you want to write this down, grace is love from God that is directed downward to us. It implies that he has it all and we have nothing and that we need what he has. And so grace is this undeserved favor of God. It's something we did not deserve. You can write this down. It is something we could not earn. It is something we could not earn. Religion in the world today would say that if you do enough good things, you can climb up these steps and you can get to a place where God might one day be pleased with you. That is not grace. That is not how God works. The idea, and we'll see this in the word of God here, is that we could not get to him. And he had to stoop down. He had to bend down. He had to show us favor. He had to show us charity. We couldn't have done this on our own. And this is what we're going to see. Last week I shared with you this, that God, grace is who God is. Today I want to talk about how grace is how God operates. Would you write this down and consider this with me today? That yes, grace is who God is, but it is also how he operates. 
It's this bending down. It's this stooping down to show favor and charity in your life. And with that, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2. So have your Bible ready, please. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to start at verse 1. and Read a couple verses here. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians, people who claim to follow Jesus Christ, people who have received from God the grace of His grace. He's writing to a church in Ephesus, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. As, as for you, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Apostle Paul says, I just want to tell you a few things here. Christian, let me tell you, you were, and he rattles off some of these situations, what we were. If you were a follower of Christ here today, if you are a Christian, he says, here's what you were. You were dead in your sins. Spiritually dead. There's no way as a spiritually dead person you could have made your way to God. You were dead. There's no pulse in your spirit. There's nothing you could have done. He says, you were living like the world. and By nature, then you were objects of God's wrath. Fortunately for us, Grace is how God operates. If he said, you try to come up here and catch me, we could have never have done that. But grace is how God operates, bending down, stooping down to show favor in our lives. And so because of this, we're going to see this today, that you have no reason to boast before God. You cannot stand here and say, God, look at me. I've accomplished this. Of course you love me. I have done this. There is, there's no room for boasting in this. You have no reason to say, look at me. But God has every reason to say, no, you look at me. This is what God is saying today. Go to verse 4. Let me read some more to you. But, this is how bad off you were. But, verse 4, God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. Go ahead and circle that word. By grace you have been saved. And you've been raised up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me pause there for a moment. He says, I was telling you how you were, but I want you to know that God, he was, and he rattles off some things. He was rich in mercy. His bank account on mercy, it knew no end. God had a great love for us. He had us a great love for every single one of you. God, what he did is that he made you alive with Christ. He did all of this work. This is how he operates. He raises you up. The idea, again, is that he had to stoop down and bend down in order to raise you up. This wasn't you attaining some nirvana. This wasn't you figuring this out. This is God raising you up. And he seated us with Christ. God has earned the right to say, you look at me. You look at me. Let me read a few more verses. Verse 7. So that in the coming, coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. There's that word again. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
verse 8. If you do not know this verse, if you do not have it memorized, do this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Your faith, your belief. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. No one. Verse 10, for we are, we are his workmanship. We've talked about how that literally would mean his purposeful poem. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We'll stop there. God, you see, graciously worked on our part so that we would look at him. All of this that Paul writes, he says, God has performed all of this so that you would look at him. So you take your eyes off yourself and you would understand the grace of God. He said, you might see your sin problem, but your sin problem's remedy is God himself. It's not you. And this is what it means to become a Christian to receive this grace, to understand that you have a sin problem. Those of us who say, yes, I'm a Christian, said I had a sin problem that I could not fix. God had to stoop down and do the work. He sent his son to pay for my sins. I have received that gift. I have received that favor. I have received that charity. This is what it means to become a Christian. The issue is, even after we turn to Jesus and we receive a new life and we receive forgiveness, God did not plan for us to take the credit there either. He never expected us to say, look at me, never. And so write this down if you would. With grace, there is no room for boasting. With the grace of God, he makes this so there's no room for boasting. What we all have in common in this room is that there is no room for boasting in what we have done because it was the grace of God. He graciously worked on our part that we would look at him. He had no dream, no intention that we'd ever say, look at us, but that we would look at him. Now here's part of our brokenness. Here's part of our sinfulness is that we are glory hogs. Write these two words down. You will examine your heart this next week and find out that yes, this is you even if you don't believe me right now. You're a glory hog. You want credit. You want to be noticed. This is part of our brokenness. Now with grace there's no room for boasting but we have this issue where we want the attention. We want the glory. We want people to say look at me. I was thinking about this in my life and one of the most elementary ways that we are glory hogs is bragging. Uh, now, this is what we did when we were younger. We would, you know, my dad can beat up your dad kind of things. My kids never said that. You know, they knew that was not the truth. But, you know, I mean, we, as kids in the playground, we'd brag. And, and I was thinking back and had to confess in front of all of you that with my little brother growing up, you know, I would always beat him. I just always did. And then after I would, I would sing this song and bragging. And I'm not going to sing it now, but it was just, we are the champions. And I would sing this over and over and over. And someday he'll send me the therapy bill for this. But I just wanted to brag. I wanted to say, look at me. I beat my little brother in a game. And it was just, I was a glory hog. I wanted to say, look at me. But I've grown out of that stage of bragging. And I stopped doing that. I stopped singing when I beat him. 
I, so I, I'm done with that. I stopped two years ago. <laughs> I've matured. And so bragging may not be the way that I'm a glory hog. So we get, the older we get, we, we get more sophisticated with our glory hogging. And what we do is we start fishing for compliments, Right? We might not go out and say, I'm better than you, but we just fish for compliments so that people will brag on us. I wrote that down, and the Lord said, Scott, you did that this week too. And I remember telling my wife earlier in the week, and I was like, honey, thank you for cleaning the dishes and putting them in the dishwasher. I so appreciate you. Who do you think Unloaded the dishwasher, though, so that you could have an empty dishwasher. I was fishing. I was like, you know, I just want her to say, well, thank you for unloading the dishwasher. But instead of getting that, she said, are you serious? Are you asking me to praise you for doing your regular chore? Instead of getting praise, I got berated and corrected and humbled. But I thought, you know, I'm a glory hog. And I just wanted to be noticed that I did my regularly assigned task a day late. (laughs) But another way we do this, we even get more sophisticated than that at times. And I just want you to consider this and write this down because this is a way that we are all glory hogs, that we are bad listeners. Would you write this down? Don't use this as a tool to judge somebody this week, but do this as a tool to examine your heart this week. That when you sit down with people and they start telling you stories, consider the urge you have to say, oh, that reminds me of a better story. As soon as this guy comes up for air and pauses, I'm going to tell a better story. But yeah, I act like I'm listening, but I'm not listening because I want to tell a greater story about how great I am. Like, because we're glory hogs, because we're, we have this problem, we're, we're bad listeners. Then I thought of another way we are glory hogs, that we say, look at me, look at me. And it, it, it's, it became a brand new word in our English language in 2013. The Oxford Dictionary said it was the word of the year in 2013. It's the word selfie. Didn't even exist when I was growing up. But now with cell phones, we're taking all these selfies becomes the word of the year because we're all doing this. Amen? We're just, what we're doing is taking a picture and saying, hey, everybody on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, look at me. And some of you are like, I don't do that. And it's only because you're too old and your phone doesn't work to do that. (laughs) And you're only laughing it because you know it's true. We just want people to notice us. Notice me. I did this. Notice me. Notice me. But as I was thinking about this, that's not even the worst way I think that we're glory hogs. This isn't the worst way that we say, look at me. Maybe the worst and most ingrained way that we are glory hogs, a way that we show our arrogance, is how we live without any thought of God. The way that you're saying, look at me, and living as if you're boasting, is that when you just live your life without any acknowledgement of God. 
You say, well, I'll come on Sunday mornings and sing some songs. The rest of the time then, in essence, when you are not acknowledging God, you are being a glory hog. You're saying, it's about me. Everybody look at me. And it's ingrained in all of us that we would not acknowledge God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the reality is so many of us live so much of our days as if there is no God. And God has been acting graciously to say, look at me. And we're like, sorry, God, I'm, I'm so caught up in me. The fact that you're simply breathing today is the fact that God has been gracious to you. He does not treat you as your sins deserve. He's not zapping you for the sins, that you, the punishment that you deserve. He's been gracious to you. He's been operating this way. He's been stooping down. He's been bending low to show you his favor. And whenever we do not acknowledge him, we're acting in arrogance. Actually, God is working over and over in our lives. He's working in me. He's working in you. And he's getting us to the point where we'd never say, look at me, but we'd say, look at my God. Look at my God. Got to have a great opportunity Friday night. There was a benefit dinner for Mid-Valley Fellowship, ministry that our church supports, ministry in our community that helps people with sexual brokenness. And over and over that evening, as I'm surrounded by these people, and not even the ones who shared on stage, but I heard comments like this, glory to God for what he's done in my life. It wasn't look at me, it was you've got to look at my God. He's the one who's brought healing about. Look at him. I heard people say things like this, it was of no effort of our own that we are who we are today. I was like, oh. They're getting it. They're getting it. But you and I, uh, many times, we're saying, look at me. Well, let me show you a little bit and explain God's pattern of showing grace so that you would not boast. Because if you get this pattern, if you would understand the pattern of how God shows grace, I'm confident that you would boast less and less in yourself and you would brag more and more about your God. And for this, you're going to have to write this passage down. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. I want to take you back to the Old Testament here. Moses had been leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years and he gets on the edge of of the promised land and he says I'm not going to be able to go but you are and I want you to remember some things before you live this life and before you forget God I want you to look back over the last 40 years and remember some things about God and so let's look at this passage this is God's pattern of breaking boasting in our lives it says that the Lord humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna which you did not know. You'd never heard of this before. But he was feeding you with food from heaven for 40 years. Nor did your fathers know about this stuff. And he did this that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is God's pattern. This is God's pattern of breaking pride and arrogance in our life. Now let me ask you this as we look at this passage. Can you find some words that would show an act of grace? Just look up there for a minute. 
do you see some words that would show an act of grace? An act of God stooping down, of God bending down, and taking this people who, who had, were called stiff-necked, hard-heart people. Do you see some words that would show grace? Now, I imagine a couple popped out to you, word fed you, that looks like grace, right? That he would give them something to eat every day. Maybe even this, that he might make you know he was teaching you, that's grace, we get that. God continue to feed us, God continue to teach us. Oh God, pour out your grace, amen? We want you to feed us, we want you to take care of us, we want you to continue to teach us. But there are a couple other phrases there that are grace as well. And sometimes we miss these. Look at these words. The Lord humbled you. Did you know that's grace? This is grace. He humbled you and he let you hunger. This is actually God bending down, God stooping down to show favor. Humbling them. Causing them to hunger. Creating in them a need so that he could feed them. This is God saying, oh, you've got to look at me. You've got to look at me. You've got to look at me. Here's his pattern. I want you to write some of these words down. He humbles. This is really the first part of his pattern. He humbles. This is grace. This is a gift of God. You're like, man, that doesn't sound like great. Uh, let me explain this in a bit. But he humbles. Secondly, after he humbles, he causes hunger. This is God's grace. This is a gift of God that he would create a hunger in you. Third, then he feeds. That's part of his pattern. And he teaches. It's part of his pattern. Consider those, that he humbles. He causes to hunger. He feeds and he teaches. The Lord humbled you. That's actually grace. He let you hunger. That's actually grace. Then he fed you with manna. That's grace. I, I kind of like the feeding part. Which you did not know, nor your fathers knew, that he might make you know, teaching you. That's grace. I want to explain this to you by going back to some of the words of Paul. Because Paul understood this pattern. Grace is the way God operates, and he actually starts by humbling you. He starts by breaking you down. He starts by causing you to understand how bad off you are. You're like, man, that doesn't sound like fun. But this is grace. Let me show you the words of Apostle Paul. I'm going to finish with his words here. Because how does he know that grace is how God operates? Because roughly six years before he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, and he's writing it in jail, but six years before that, he writes a, a letter to a church in Corinth. You can write this down, 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. You can read this this week. Because Paul knew some things about the pattern of God's grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he, he kind of goes on his rant about boasting. He said, people, I got to tell you this. Christians, I got to tell you this. If there was a level of goodness, I've outdone you all. 
If there was a level of boasting, I would have reason to boast. I have suffered for Jesus more than all of you combined. I have been in prison for Jesus, and none of you have. I have suffered. If I wanted to boast, I really could. I've been near death multiple times for serving Jesus. Because if I wanted to boast, I could. I've been stoned. I had nothing to do with THC because of Jesus. I've been in danger in so many ways. And if I wanted to boast, I really could. And if I wanted to say, look at me, church, I really could. I could boast all day. But notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited. This is what God did. To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the things I got to experience, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. See, the humbling of God is actually an act of grace. Paul understood this. God was being gracious to me. He was keeping me from being conceited. He was humbling me. He was giving me pain. God will keep me humble. Would you repeat that after me? God will keep me humble. You're like, man, I didn't really want to say that phrase, but he will. God's going to keep you humble. He's going to keep you from saying, look at me. No, you look at my God. And he's going to work to keep me from being humble. So go to verse 8. And it says this. The Apostle Paul says, So three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I said, Lord, bring me relief. I've got these problems. It's like a messenger from Satan. I'm just asking, get rid of this. Three times I pleaded about the Lord that it should leave me. He was saying, I want my pain to go away. How many of you want your pain to go away? You're experiencing pain. He said, I want my pain to go away. I just want my hunger satisfied. I want satisfaction here. Honestly, I'm just looking after me here. God, take this pain from me. I want relief from my situation. Because I'm really just looking at me. But the next verse says this. But God said to me, my grace my bending down, my stooping down to show you favor and charity in your life, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for you. For my power, Paul, is made perfect in weakness. God was saying, I'm humbling you, buddy. I love you like a son. You are my son, but I'm humbling you. And I'm going to allow you to hunger. And I'm going to allow pain in your life. And I'm going to create this hunger in your life. So that you see that I alone am your provider. Because you've been a little too arrogant. Yeah, you could boast, Paul, but I'm going to break you down. And I'm going to, this is grace. I'm breaking you down so that you get the best gift, which is understanding that God alone provides. So what grace does is it creates weakness. God in his grace, he'll create weakness. He'll allow weakness. You're like, well, I'm asking that this disease go away. God says, no, actually, this is my grace to you. Because when you're weak, oh, I can do something with that. You're less arrogant when you're weak. 
You're less arrogant when you're going through these problems. This is grace. Paul goes on to say this, Therefore, I will boast about this. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Paul's saying, I've got problems. And that's actually good because God meets me there. The problems are an act of grace. He's humbling me and he's causing me to hunger because when I hunger, I hunger for God. And that's the best place to be. Verse 10, he finishes up by saying this, so for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses. Wow. I'm content with insults. I'm content with the hardships I'm going through. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities, disasters, and difficulties. For when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. That's when God strengthens me. And so there's grace when he humbles me. That's his grace. Because he's causing me to hunger. And when I hunger for him, he actually feeds me. And when I understand that all my provision is from him alone, that's when I find my strength. This is the way God operates. We just like to, oh God, pour out the good gifts to me and give me a better bank account and better health. And he says, actually my grace will start with humbling you. My grace will start by breaking you down. My grace will cause you to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for me. And when you're there, then I'll feed you. And I will teach you that you do not live on bread alone. You do not live on your own strength. But you live on what comes from God. You're going to say less and less, look at me. And you're going to hear God say, no, 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 look at me. Because when I'm weak and humbled, I can actually see his grace more clearly. Paul's saying, when I was weak and humbled, I saw his goodness better, more clearly. The problem is when you and I feel strong, we think we don't need God. We don't think we need his grace. If you were God, you'd do the same thing. It's like, no, I, I, need, to, I need to humble them. I need them to hunger for me. Because when I'm weak and humbled, I see how God operates in my life. Because when I'm strong, I can't see God operating. When I'm weak and humbled, I see my need to receive grace upon grace upon grace. But when I feel strong, I'm like, God, I got this. I don't need you right now. Can you see how God's grace will be first to humble you over and over again? And cause you to hunger and feed you and teach you. And when you start getting all high and mighty and say, look at me, he'll bring about more humbling. Causing you to hunger so that he can feed you again. So that he can teach you again. And what you and I need more than anything else is to see more of God and less of me. Less of us. He says, you just don't see it very well unless I bring humbling to your life. 
and cause you to hunger. But I don't want you to lose sight that that is actually grace. It's my goodness in your life. And so to look at God, to look at his glorious and abundant grace, I'm hoping that you can hear God say to you this morning, look at me. And if you can't see me, I'll probably bring more humbling and more hungering so that you can look at me. And this is what God will do. And he does it because he loves us. He knows the best thing we need is more of him, less of me. Would you bow your heads and reflect for a moment with me? God, as I reflect, I just confess that I make a lot of life about me. I brag, I fish for compliments, put a selfie up because I just want people to notice me. I'm a glory hog. My brothers and sisters, we all struggle with this. And your grace will humble us and cause us to hunger so that we'd look at you and not ourselves. And so again, we just ask that you would help us to see you. You stooped down, you bent down, and you rescued us by the giving of your son, the forgiveness of our sins. You've included us into your family as sons and daughters. Why did we ever think it was about us? So God, today, help us to receive more of your grace. Continue to make us needy so that we say, I need to receive. God, I pray for those who need to receive you for the very first time. They're trying to earn your favor. They're trying to be good. They'll never make it that way. Help them simply today to say, I receive your grace. I receive your grace. And I pray that for all of us, God, that you'd help us to say today, I receive your humbling and I receive the weakness I'm experiencing. I, I, I take it as grace. Because you're getting me to look less at myself and to look at you. So this week, would you help us to receive over and over and over your grace? Because you want us to extend it. You want us to extend it in the neighborhood. You want us to extend it at work, at school, with all the people that you providentially place in front of us. You want us to extend that grace. And so help us to receive it. So we thank you for grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Grace that would include us into your family. Not because of righteous things we did, but just because of your grace and your mercy. So continue to break us. 
And help us to see that that's even grace. And we will say like the Apostle Paul, somehow I can delight in weakness and insult and hardships and persecution and calamities because when I'm weak, you strengthen me. When I'm hungry, you feed me. So I thank you for being a gracious God. I love you. We love you. We pray all this in the powerful, beautiful, saving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking some time today to look into God's word with us. Join us again next week as we continue to consider the glorious grace in which God has bestowed upon us.